The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Jason Miller. Jason is the executive editor for Federal News Network. Um, and we're going to just take a run through. It's our quarterly sort of get together where we look what happened over the course of the last uh, business quarter for the federal government. And Jason, it's good to catch up with you. What's going on? Roger, I always appreciate you having me on the show. It, you like to turn the tables, if you will. You can go back to your roots as a prosecuting attorney. I think early <laughs> in your career, I think you... Uh, uh, we're a criminal defense attorney, like on the Lincoln Lawyer Show. I think that's true. No, 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 not quite. No. Mr. Waldron, <laughs> isn't it just... true that on the 8th of December you were? No, uh, no there's a lot well, going on. We just finished the fourth quarter. We're just entering the first quarter of the fiscal year. Uh, this is always a great time for acquisition. I think there's two things that always stand out to me when we get to this time of year, Roger. We start to hear about how agencies did in 2023 or the previous fiscal year and, and understand what kind of progress. And I was at the Defense Information Systems Agency's recent industry day, which I love. You've got to go to that. If, if you haven't been and, and you do work with DOD or DISA, you got to go. It's really one of the best days of the year uh, for contracting and contractors. They do a great job. And I would encourage every single agency to do something similar or get together and do something similar where you bring in all your senior executives, everyone around the world, to, to really talk about what's going on in contracting. You start to hear the progress that they've made in that case, but other agencies start to make. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of excitement as we enter the new fiscal year about the new contracts and the awards. You had VA made some awards for their big IT services contract. You got a, we got another protest for Polaris. We got uh, excitement around lots of changes at GSA. So Roger, I am excited. Well, why don't we start there with, like you mentioned DISA and they've made progress. What did you hear at the Industry Day? The things that stand out to me at Industry Day, are, I think, are twofold. The first, I think, is the obvious one. They go through all their priorities in a way that really helps industry understand where they're heading. So this is not just about cloud. You know, we've got to move to the cloud, but they talk about where they are with, for instance, the Joint Warfighter cloud capability, the JWCC contract. And uh, General Skinner, the director of DISA, talked about something to the effect of 36 task orders, $260 million worth of contracts already awarded through JWCC, 41 more in the hopper, as he said. This is showing that the military services defense agencies are moving toward JWCC. But then we also heard, hey, JWCC is step one. So be prepared as we do more uh, work in the cloud around app rationalization how to understand what we're doing, what we're buying, and how we can we buy it better, what applications are really necessary and people want to use. Uh, you know, they, they also talked about the need for software licensing. Roger, this has been a big issue for DOD around software licensing. They really want to try to get their head around it and say, are we getting the best deal, not just for DISA and its customers, but for DOD as a whole? And I've written a lot about the DOS contract and the problems with the software licensing agreements that they set up back in 2017. And between me, you, and our audience, Roger, they weren't happy with that story, I think, and they were not happy that I brought that up again <laughs> during the press conference. 
full disclosure, my intention was to talk about that idea of software licensing using Dios just as that broader example. They went on a nice uh, information uh, dump around why Dios actually is a good contract. You and I and, and the world can talk about that separately, but I think the idea here is what are they, how are they buying software? How can they buy it more efficiently? And then how can they get a better price for the volume that they're buying across the DOD? And I think that's actually a really interesting sign of a priority for the department, not just at DISA, but across the entire DOD. The last thing I'll just offer about DISA, which I think is really important, we're going to talk about the General Services Administration. DISA also is going through a reorg, and the reorg really is focused on they're moving to a J structure. If you're not familiar with uh, DOD, they have J1 does this, and J2, and J3, et cetera, so on and so forth. And then they're moving to a PEO, a Program Executive Office Structure. So you see that with the Army and the Navy, they have like PEO EIS and PEO MLB. They're moving to a similar structure. And I think all of that is really trying to align standards and, and templates and really try to be more consistent in how they're doing acquisition and how they're looking at buying and implementing and managing contracts. So is it, there was a ton there, Roger. I could talk probably another you know 15 minutes, but, but I think it's, it's, again, such a great day. And, and I would really encourage folks to attend. So was that the sort of performance measure they were talking about, or did they also also explain what that meant from a performance or outcome in terms of improving, you know, capability? Did they talk about that at all? A lot of what they talked about was they were doing this idea of what they call SPA, which is kind of this review board. And then they're moving from SPA to this next phase of it, which is kind of a, a like an IPT. It's an integrated product review team. They have their own name for it. I think they call it IAPR. And, and this is this idea of understanding where they're at, bringing the right people together, making sure that the project managers and the pro program management offices uh, are understanding what the requirements are. How do you write a contract better? How do you deliver the on the requirements better? They're seeking you know more clear documentation, uh, so, so there's a lot of process improvement that is ongoing across DISA. And this is something that's not new. This is something that's been going on for a couple of years. But I think they're at the point now where they're saying it's not just about getting the requirements out the door, but are they, right, are they the right requirements? How long are they taking to get out the door? What are we doing to ensure that we're not just pushing everything into LPTA and they're really looking at what, what makes the most sense for what they're buying? Great. And then my other question about about the software licenses, did they talk about what they were looking, how to structure or what steps they could take to improve, you know, licensing? I mean, it really comes down ultimately to the requirements and managing your requirements, understanding, you know, do you need surge capability? If you've got cloud, how do you manage that? The timing for payment, you know, in the context of cloud you know, paying in advance versus arrears. Did they talk about any, like, things they were looking at doing to try to, you know, enhance their licensing? I think a lot of it goes back to understanding that why the Army is getting a certain license per seat cost and, let's say, the Navy is getting something else. And, you know, Chris Barnhurst, the deputy director of DISA, actually said, you know, he's seen instances where for the same set of software licensing, the Army is paying two to three to four as much as 12 times less than another service. So the DOD CIO acquisition sustainment are really working together from a policy perspective to really try to, again, speak as one voice. They didn't get into that next level of, okay, well, you buy the, how you buy cloud services, how you don't, 
Uh, I, I think really their goal here is to take advantage of DOD as a volume buy because there are so many enterprise deals. Roger, we've seen these attempts before. We know the Navy has, has been successful with enterprise software agreements. We know GSA has tried to do different smart buy and, and, and some of their other agreements that have been maybe less successful. I think that they're seeing that there's a lot of money being spent and how to reduce that cost. And really, the, the other piece of this, Roger, is to simplify for the vendor themselves, right? They don't want to manage 12 different contracts across 13 different organizations. I, I think vendors have, what I've heard at least, they want to manage one contract and, and get paid for it. Right. Or it could be multiple different orders under that contract, but it might be so there might be differing terms, but definitely that's what the whole concept of, you know, multiple ward IEQs, like the big ones, the interagency contracting ones, that sort of thing. So was there a big turnout for this event? There was. They had uh, over 750 people in person, another 700 people on, on virtual. I think one of the big benefits of the pandemic, if you can look at the silver lining, is agencies, organizations have learned to do this hybrid approach, and people still like to come in person. But if you live in California and you do a lot of work with DOD flying across the country, you always got to weigh that effort. But now you can tune in through your laptop and, and make life easy and, and learn and, and listen. So I think, you know, that's why it's such a, a big turnout. What they do well, again, and again, I'll just repeat myself, I'll encourage other agencies to really take a look at this model, is they bring in 8, 10, 12 of their senior leaders to talk about their areas of focus, whether it's cyber or cloud, other, you know, spectrum or other pieces and parts. And then they also have meetings. They have, you know, meet the seniors. They have a whole separate room set up of the, of the folks who work in each of those organizations, again, cyber, cloud, Ditco, other, and then you can have time to meet with them. Again, you're not having hour-long meetings, but shake the hand, make the connection, pass the card, talk a little bit, a bit about it. I think it's just a really healthy exchange of information. And you see this, their success, Roger, based on their small business accomplishments. Again, we, we can argue over some of the data from small business, but when you talk about small business, one of the things that DISA continue to do is they make success. And and, they, and, and Carla Campanos, the, the director of small business at DISA, talked about their achievements in 2023. For instance, 29.25% uh, of all contracts went to small businesses, about almost $1.9 billion. They met all their goals for women-owned business, hub-zone business, uh, service-disabled veteran-owned small business. They did miss their service, uh, their small disadvantaged business goal, uh, but they still awarded over $805 million, almost $806 million, and 12.6% of all contracts went to SDBs. Uh, it was a new record for HubZone, Roger. Highest percentage, most dollars ever, 4.4%, $283 million, well above the 3% goal. So, again, these type of events really help them meet those goals, among other things that they, they definitely take a, a, a long, hard look at. So what was folks' reaction in the audience? I mean, one of the things you talked about it being hybrid, at the same time, you also mentioned the idea of like, there essentially sounds like one-on-one -on -one sessions during the course of an event, and those can be invaluable, just meeting someone face-to-face. -face. And I know companies have to make decisions about who they're, whether they're going to send people or not, or do it virtually and that sort of thing. Did the audience give you any sense of, you know, their reaction to the event in terms of whether it was a positive or was it, you know, they appreciative? Um, did they feel like they got what they needed out of it? 
I think one of the things that, that it's consistently that I've seen, and I've attended this event, I want to say five, seven years in a row, however long they've been having it, I think I've been going. The meetings that you can do, the fact that they bring the senior leaders in is really invaluable. What happens after those meetings, I, I don't have any insight into. Uh, I don't ever do follow-ups with the vendors to say, hey, you met so-and-so, what happened from that meeting? But I think the fact is that you had over 700 people in person, I think folks do find that valuable. Otherwise, you know, you could watch it from home. You know, why make that trip from Northern Virginia or, or Maryland if all the way up to Towson if, if you don't find it valuable? So I, I think generally the reaction's good. And then I think the other piece, Roger, is that in networking among companies, right? So much partnerships uh, that happen. And I think that's also really valuable for them to meet other contractors and say, oh, well, I provide cyber and you provide a uh, help desk. We could get together and provide a, a better solution. Because uh, one of the things that DISA does talk about is they do kind of abide by this rule of two, uh, for lack of a better word, where they say, if we can find two or more small businesses who are qualified, we will set this aside for small businesses. Uh, and I think they really do take that seriously, not just based on their numbers, but they've said it time and again. And again, Carla Campanos, the director of small businesses for DISA says, she gave a pretty stark message to the large businesses. If you are going to subcontract, we are going to hold you responsible and accountable for those subcontracting. Don't do the switcheroo because we will be following up with, uh, with you on that. And there is even some talk about adding the subcontracting requirements in a much more accountable way to contracts as an evaluation factor or some other kind of factor. Great. So I think, Jason, we're up on the break. Uh, when we come back, let's turn our attention to GSA, uh, the recently announced reorganization, what your impressions are, what you're hearing on the street about it, and then we can move into some other GSA-related topics moving forward. My guest today is Jason Miller. He's the executive editor for Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walder, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Jason Miller. Jason is the executive editor for Federal News Network, and uh, we're talking, just doing our quarterly update. It's the end of fiscal year in September, and uh, just you know catching up and seeing what's going on in the federal space um, and comparing notes. Um, and Jason, I wanted to, speaking of comparing notes, let's talk about the GSA reorg uh, a little bit and just get your impressions and also sort of what you've been hearing from folks regarding, you know, what GSA is, is, is implementing now, announced and now imp began implementing in October. Anytime an agency, whether it's GSA or whomever, just as, as we were just talking about in the last segment, anytime you go through a reorg, there's always consternation. There's always concern. What does this mean for me? I've had a couple conversations with kind of the, the line managers, the next, you know, kind of the, the GS-15 level type of people. And I think it's been mixed. One person was very much, what are they doing? Why are they making changes? They haven't been clear enough. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned. I talked to somebody else who said, this makes a lot of sense. And they have done a pretty good job. Sonny Hashmi and his team of, of leadership have done a pretty good job of explaining the who, what, where, when, why, and how. I think a lot of it is still early. I think what we're looking for is how GSA is going to serve customers differently, more efficiently. And I think that's yet to be decided, not because the plan is good or bad, but because these things take a year or more to really work out and 
find their rhythm. Roger, in many ways, this has been years since they did a reorg, maybe the first one. Is it time? I mean, I think Sonny Hashmi, you know, I had a conversation with him about a month ago, and he said, we haven't done a reorg maybe ever or maybe in a long time, and things are changing. The way we do business is changing. The way we serve our customers is changing. So there was a lot of, it made sense to do a reorg. Again, it's hard for me to judge whether it's good or bad, but I don't think there is this huge upheaval that you can expect. I mean, I think people are, are generally taking a, a pretty good approach to it. From your perspective, I'll throw it back at you, Roger. What are you hearing from your members? Are they at all worried about, oh, well, I've always dealt with Don and now I got to deal with Mary? Or is that, does that not matter mm-hmm. to them as much? Uh, first, I was trying to rack my brain as to when there was a reorg. And there may have been, there may be changes around the margin, you know, with, you know, renaming to the IT category of professional services and human category categories of the different services within, but fundamentally they kind of say stayed the same in terms of their scope and structure. So they go back all the way to, um, you know, the early two thousands when F the federal supply service, which ran the schedules, including the IT schedules and the federal technology service, you know, were merged into a single federal acquisition service as probably the, you know, maybe there's some tweaks that have been made over the years, but that's going back quite a ways. And now taking a look at that combined organization, and here we are in 2023 and looking at a a reorg, you know, it has been a long time. And I think it's, you know, it was was probably past time perhaps to do it. And I guess uh, to your point, I think, you know, companies are always going to be, you know, what does it mean for me? You know, what does it mean for my engagement with GSA? And I do want to understand what, you know, who are they going to be dealing with and, and then do things change. I think the, you know, the, the potential for the reorganization um, in terms of, you know, accountability and management structure, I think is, is very positive. And, and I, and I, and I say this because they've broken down the regional sort of barriers or the regional sort of stovepipes. That's a better word. Uh, in FAS and created a structure that's more uh, that is around an organization in and of itself, like whether it's the general supplies and services and the reporting chains and, you know, to the assistant commissioner for that Uh, same for professional services in the IT category. So you should not, or one of the goals is to try to create a unified organization within the organization set of organizations. So you have the, Fort Worth uh, acquisition office and the Kansas City acquisition office and the New York acquisition office sort of all on the same page and not, you know, reporting up through different sort of separate regional structures, then sort of dotted line to the central office. Now it's, it's breaking those barriers down. And I think it gives the senior management an opportunity to really be able to manage the organization more effectively over the long term and provide accountability and consistency uh, in dealing both with our customer agencies and with industry as well. So I think that's very positive. Uh, I think that's and- been one of the big complaints about the former structure of GSA is the inconsistency. Region five would do it a little bit differently in the region seven. And if you're a contractor who's working across multiple regions, Oh, for you, I have to do it this way. I have to remember I have to do it this way. And for you, I have to do it that way. And I think one thing that Sonny Hashmi told me was we're just trying to bring some consistency so it's not hard on the customer, both agencies and vendors, to work with our different pieces and parts. 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I'd say it's a consistency and accountability across the organization. So, you know, now senior managers are going to be more directly accountable for that, for trying to achieve that sort of consistency and making it uh, dead easy to do business with GSA, both for customer agencies and uh, for industry partners. I mean, a couple other positive things along those lines, I guess one of them is sort of along those lines is organizing, you know, around customers as opposed to regions as well. So where now you'll have a, a, a group that's focused on the Navy as a customer or the Army or Homeland Security. You know, the goal there is to really, as it sounds, be much more customer focused, where in the past it was more regionally based. So, you know, in the region, you you have people who probably would be dealing with all those agencies as part of their responsibilities. But now you're going to basically focus on a particular customer base. And I think that lends itself to, you know, better understanding of that a customer's wants and needs, um, where they're going, what the future looks like, and and really being able to communicate with them more effectively over time. So I think that's another very positive thing. And then lastly, I think, you know, the assisted acquisition service and its um, elevation and also its growth will continue under this reorg. And I think as a center of excellence in supporting customer agencies and doing procurements on their behalf, I mean, that's critically important these days. There's a shortage of acquisition personnel uh, developing that kind of capability and continuing to make investments in it, I think, is a smart play by GSA. The one thing that always stands out to me on, on these reorgs is, and I asked Sonny the same question, is how are you going to have different teams for different parts of the government, right? The, the, for, so for instance, he's going to have an Army team, and that team is probably yeah. going to be their biggest team because the Army is among their biggest customers. At the same time, even if you put together... I'm making this up, but but three or four of their customers who are smaller, and it could be, um, you know, SBA, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and SEC. How well will you be able to know them if they only buy from GSA on occasion? And I'm not saying that that's better or worse from previous attempts, but putting together teams, you you could have eight or nine or ten customers on your team, you know, as part of that team, and I'm not sure how that's going to work yet. It's hopefully going to be better than it was, but I think there's, that's why I said there's so much to learn and play out. I think the process that GSA put together today, it will look much different six months from now, and it may look a lot different 12 months from now. Is that kind of what uh, also you're expecting? You, you've touched on a good point in that any reorganization, there are things that you're going to discover going through that process that are going to require some you know, modification or, you know, a change or an adjustment to that. The blueprint is there, but you'll learn things going through a reorg, transitioning to new structure and then engaging your customers that you say, oh, you know, we need to adjust here. You know, you're not going to think of everything. It's just, that's just the way organizations are built. That's a human condition, you know, and I think good management would be looking at how it's progressing and where they may need to make alterations. But I still go back to the point, I think having a customer focus currently, especially given the speed of change in the market and how fast and for technology, for example, um, and what agencies are looking at doing, I think that's a, that's a good approach to try to great, create sort of some 
in-house expertise with regard to particular agencies. Maybe it was always there, but in a certain sense, you're kind of trying to leverage it as opposed to a regional structure where I'm dealing, I'm a, you know, I'm dealing with multiple different potential customers across the base and I don't have an opportunity to really, you know, get to know, you know, that customer base and because it's each customer is big, big enough in and of itself. Right. As you kind of point you're making, um, you know, that it's going to take some time to figure it all out and how it's, how it's going to flow. And Sunny said to me, I mean, they will continue to, to listen to their customers. They, they've been good about doing feedback surveys and, and talking to different parts of GSA. Sunny is a big believer in, you know, both the, the CX and the UX user experience, customer experience, plus the EX, the employee experience, all, all these new terms we have to learn, Roger. So I think, uh, again, a year from now, when we talk about this, we'll have a better idea of just how impactful this was, what new problems were discovered and or solved. So I think uh, I think there's a lot sure. to be uh, uh, to look forward to. Yeah, and actually, but first, who you know, who came up with these terms CX, EX? Like, you know, do you do you have the history of that? I I don't know it, but some consultant is very excited about themselves. We'll blame the consultants, right? Instead yeah, of prob- the lawyers, you're probably right. Some cons- yeah, somewhere not not a lawyer. They're not creative enough to think of something like that. So anyway, or is that really creative? I don't know. Uh, anyway, when we come back, we'll continue our discussion of uh, the last quarter, some highlights. I know you want to talk about some VA contracts. There's a new Polaris bid protest and maybe a little pricing policy thrown in the mix. My guest today is Jason Miller. He's the executive editor for Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walter, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Jason Miller, the executive editor for Federal News Network. And yeah, we're we're taking sort of a look back at the last quarter or just generally what's going on in procurement right now. Um, and Jason, uh, we were talking about GSA and the GSA reorg, um, you know, that's uh, now in the process of being implemented and a lot of moving boxes there. And I know you're excited to come to uh, the coalition's conference next week, um, you know, the f- uh, 15th and 16th of uh, November. Um, you know, why are you excited to come to our conference? Jason? Why am I excited? Because you have some of the best coffee, Roger, and, and all. You, you know how to always order the best coffee. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. The donuts are good, too. Donuts are good, too. It's the little things that poor journalists need in their life, which is coffee and donuts. Well, actually, I would tell you the bacon's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll make sure I add bacon to my donuts and coffee this time. Okay. The thing about going to conferences, again, we talked about the DISA conference earlier and, and your conference is really the quality of the speaker. Uh, who you get, who shows up, and what do they have to say? And I think a lot of times GSA, to their credit, comes to talk about something, whether it's the latest contract or the latest effort to modernize the schedule system because they know what your audience and who's at, at, who's who's in the audience. And I think that's really an important piece. And then you all also get others from DOD and other agencies, DHS or, or whomever, to really talk about what they're doing as it relates not just to GSA, but more broadly to the contractor community. But my favorite part of your conference, Roger, beyond the coffee, the donuts, and now the bacon, of course, is the Rogers Award. Now, if you're not familiar with this, this is your friends in, in the in the government uh, contracting law community uh, came up with this, I don't know, five, six, seven, however long years ago. And they named it after you and your honor. And they talk about the best bid protest decision, the funniest 
procurement or I don't remember all their categories. But the fact is they have a little bit of sense of humor and we can have a good laugh in a good way at government contracting is always a, a highlight of my day at the Coalition for Government Procurement's uh, fall conference. Well, I mean, and, I mean, I know you enjoy a good laugh at my expense, so <laughs> so I look forward to seeing you there, <laughs> Jason. Um, and to your point about speakers, we're very fortunate um, this uh, this year. We're going to have Tom Howder, the FAS Deputy Commissioner, uh, come and talk about the reorganization and you know framing FAS for the future. Uh, we have um, Laura Stanton the IT uh, Assistant Commissioner for the IT category, Tiffany Hickson, uh, f- uh, the Assistant Commissioner for the Professional Services and assist- and the Human Capital category. We have Chris Ham from uh, Assisted Acquisition Services and Irv Keeler from, uh, from General Supplies and Services, uh, the Assistant Commissioner there. Um, all coming to talk about, you know, their organizations, what they look like under the reorg and, and where they're heading, you know, framing them for the future. And, of course, we have our breakout sessions where we've got a lot of folks um, in smaller groups who are going to be talking about their programs from across GSA, from NASA Soup, from NITEC as well. So um, we're very excited um, uh, with regard to the conference. And, in fact, we got one breakout session where you're going to need – the new leadership for the assisted acquisition service uh, in particular. So we're very excited and very appreciative um, for GSA's engagement and all the other agencies who are coming. Um, the second day is VA and we're, you know, very pleased there as well. You know, I have Mike Parrish coming, Phil Christie is coming, Andrew Centennial from Veterans Health Administration, just a hosted folks from the VA um, and also folks from uh, Defense Health Agency as well talking about, you know, their programs, what's going on. So, and, and the response from our members and the public has been fantastic. So um, I can't wait till next week and I can't wait to see you in person, Jason. Well, I will be there though, not at the breakout sessions because uh, I'm not allowed to go to those and I'm not bitter. That's correct. I'm not That's bitter, correct. Roger. Okay. No, I, I know. Well, <laughs> enjoy the Rogers while you can. <laughs> I will okay. enjoy. I will drink an extra cup of coffee for you. The one um, theme about the conference that I think folks should know about is this idea of price reasonableness. And this has been an issue that GSA and, and really a lot of agencies have been wrestling with over the last four, five, six, seven years. We have the inflation issues. We, we haven't really heard a lot about inflation recently, but the economic price adjustment piece is GSA has, has extended. Why is price reasonableness the issue at hand? What about it that really drove you to really put that as the theme of the conference? Well, the theme of the, yeah, the title for the conference is What is Fair and Reasonable? And it does touch on pricing, but also just touches on, when think about, you know, procurement policy in general, you know, it's got to be, you know, is it fair and reasonable, whether you're implementing cyber, you know, statutory provisions or, you know, sustainability or other processes and requirements that the government has? And, you know, how do you, you know, and just what's an effective approach implementing those things and what are the considerations so it's kind of a holistic discussion around those things but prices is you know is the end you know is the ball game at the end of the day right both for the customer and for you know the uh, the contractor and what they're providing and there's been lots of uh, discussion about you know changes in the market i think the inflation and economic price adjustments in the context of the schedules kind of highlighted this issue 
Um, I think GSA is in a transition in many ways in the federal government as a whole. So they've got their reorg, but also the re, you know, the other thing they're transitioning to quote data-driven decision-making and part of that data is pricing information. And the importance of that is the context. So, you know, we use a term here called data context, right? So that's not just the price in a vacuum. What are the underlying terms and conditions that drive the price? Was there a firm commitment you know, a price for 10,000 widgets that you promise to buy versus a guaranteed minimum over 20 years of $2,500. Those can, those are very different terms and conditions, especially if the widgets cost, you know, uh, you know, $500,000 a piece or something, right? That's a huge fundamental difference. And I think one of the things that, that the government and GSA is looking at is how to better manage that information and make good decision-making and understanding those terms and conditions is key to being a good customer, right? At the end of the day, because when you stop and think about it, the federal government is competing as a buyer is competing with all kinds of other commercial buyers out there. Right. So you, the, the government needs to make its case, you know, that why it's a good uh, customer and someone you want to do business with. There's always the patriotic reasons and, you know, and supporting the American people. Those are all, I mean, obviously that's great and important and it's fundamental to, you know, us in the, in the uh, procurement community in general, whether you're work for the government or not, those are things we all care about, but you still have to work out what's a fair and reasonable price. So there's lots that goes into it, a lot of different moving parts. And we see the conference as an opportunity to explore those with, uh, you know, with industry folks in the audience, as well as a, number of speakers. So, and another panel I'm sure you're going to enjoy is we have uh, Matthew Blum, uh, the Associate Administrator for OFPP at OMB, Jeff Kosis, the Senior Procurement Executive from GSA, Steve Schooner, um, the National Sabinic Professor of Government Contract Law at GW Law School, and Bill Gormley, sort of the operational guy. Yeah, they're all going to talk about what is fair and reasonable procurement policy. So that should be a fascinating discussion from various perspectives, whether it's you know, the academia, operations, GSA, and then sort of government-wide uh, from Matthew. So we're really excited about the conference. I will be there November 15th. Won't make it for the 16th, Roger. It's a busy week. Everyone's trying to get their, their events in that week, but definitely for the 15th for all our friends at GSA. And you can still register online, can't you? Yes, I can. I can go to our website, thecgp.org, and there's information there about signing up uh, and we look forward to seeing you all there next week. And Jason, thanks for that shameless plug for our event. I really appreciate it. So, um, well, it is your uh, show, and, Roger. Yeah. Well, well, yes. And okay. And I, and I know you love the Rogers. So, um, enjoy that. I, I look forward to you enjoying that. So when we come back, we'll continue our discussion, um, uh, maybe focus on, uh, maybe the Polaris bid protest. And I know you want to talk about the VA, uh, contract awards their it contract awards uh, just recently my guest today is jason miller he is the executive editor for federal news network i'm roger waldron and you're listening to off the shelf on federal news network welcome back to off the shelf and federal news network i'm roger waldron my guest today is jason miller he's the executive editor for federal news network and we're talking about um what's been going on in federal procurement over the last quarter or so and uh, Jason, I know two things that you're following very closely um, is there's a recent new Polaris bid protest 
And also you had the VA IT contract awards, their multiple award program. Um, so let's talk about Polaris first. I think one of the things why it's this is such an exciting time as, as we started off is because of, of all the different contracts that actually are out there. And, and the Polaris small business government-wide acquisition contract really is uh, one of the big ones that a lot of folks are watching. They are facing really their the, another major bid protest. So this one went to the Government Accountability Office. This is from ACMA Data Management. Uh, they are protesting the terms of the solicitation, specifically about the pricing model that they're using. Uh, what what I've been told is GSA put out an amendment, Amendment 9, that talked about allowing new pricing evaluations, if you will, because it's self-scoring evaluations. And they're allowing you to do it with your joint venture or your teaming or your mentor protege. And that is of concern to, to Akamon. I don't have a lot more specifics beyond that. You know how these pro- protests work, Roger? They only kind of tell you, uh, they only give you a certain amount. Uh, we know GAO has until February 8th to decide it. This was only followed on October 31st. So there's a lot more to learn. But this is another bump in the road for Polaris. Uh, and, and again, I, I go back to a lot of these government-wide acquisition contracts, a lot of these large ones are facing this constant stream of complaints from vendors. Uh, and I'm not sure what the answer is, except for one, we probably have too many, but two, how to get out of this protest amendment, protest amendment saga, corrective action uh, roundabout. It's, it's a carousel. Yeah, and, and perhaps, and I, you know, not with, ha- with not having the deep dive details on the bid protest, but this, you know, involving men or protégés, this is a, this is a, you know, the government's really trying to thread a needle here on men or protégés, the evaluation and scoring of those versus the scoring of, you know, small businesses. And you've seen a push pull there and series of bid protests moving forward on it, um, you know, and then getting resolved. And then, you know, they come up with a solution to part of it and, it's not quite, you know, what some folks in the, in the stakeholders hoped it would be. So you resulted in another protest. Um, and I think it's, you know, perhaps, you know, down the road, I heard one, you know, observer saying, hey, perhaps these contracts you'll need to have, you know, a separate channel for men or protégés. So they'll have their sort of vehicle uh, of choices. And then you'll have the small business set-asides and you have the full and open, you know, of these contracts. I don't know if that's the answer, but, you know, it, it, I've already heard suggestions like that. And I don't know if you, you're then creating another whole new category and how that would uh, come to pass. But um, it's, um, you know, it's, uh, I think that's kind of, it's a unique in this, in that regard, uh, in terms of those protests. And even, you know, NITEC had, you know, I don't know, some 300 protests perhaps, on it, it skewed the whole last fiscal year of bid protest. Like it went way up, but it was really one procurement that got like, you know, several hundred of the bid protests. So, and I don't know, um, you know, how you adjust adjust that or resolve it. I think, you know, in that case, you know, I think it would have helped if um, there had been separate vehicles for the different small business categories. NITEC, you know, bundle them all together in one contract. And I think, I think that made for challenges. One answer, and I think this is something that we're seeing with GSA and Oasis Plus, 
is to tell the vendor community, this is not the last chance you'll have to get on this vehicle. And we will have an open uh, on-ramps that will be, you know, once we get through the initial awards, we'll have this these on-ramps. So that will at least give folks, okay, that, not that feeling of if I don't get on, I'm cut out from this agency or this type of work at this agency for the near future. I'm not sure that's the answer, Roger, but I think that's a step in the right direction. I know you and I have talked about this before, that there's a lot more concerns about doing a, a, an ongoing on-ramp because then all of a sudden, are you just creating a new schedule contract? So you and I could talk for another 45 minutes on that issue, but at least they're trying to pay attention to the challenges ahead of if we only award, again, 100, 500, there's going to be somebody who's left out and that somebody will file a protest and cause delays which is basically what NITAC has experienced. So many people were worried about being left out. And that actually leads us to the next piece, which is the VA awards. Uh, they made some uh, interesting awards under what they call their T4NG2. This is an IDIQ multiple award IT services contract. It has a ceiling of over $60 billion. And it's for you know that the, what they call the full range of IT services, which is basically everything from you know strategy planning, software engineering, network engineering, cybersecurity operations, and the like. Uh, the question is, you know, what's that going to face in terms of protest too? Uh, I just did a quick look at the GAO docket here as we're recording this, so who knows what will happen? But there's nothing filed yet. Uh, the awards were just made recently, uh, so I think there hasn't been all the debriefs haven't happened yet. Uh, the awards were announced on October 31st, so uh, we're not quite at 10 days. So we. You know, couple more days from now, we'll check and see if there's new protests followed. But, you know, Roger, I don't know anything for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. And if, you know, if that's the vehicle sort of in a certain sense is mandatory source for the VA for a lot of this, their IT, whether it is or not, I'm, you know, just, you know, their companies, the stakes are high. So companies just want to be in the game and be able to compete for the task orders and all these situations right at the end of the day. You know, so it will be interesting to see how that all plays out. The last piece of this, Roger, is that, that I'll just kind of offer is, and, and again, I'm just going to get on my soapbox. So you're watching me get on my soapbox, climbing on my soapbox. I am. I am. Where is the leadership from OFPP when it comes to these issues? And I think, you know, no offense to Matthew Blum and Leslie Field. And again, we've said this a hundred times on your show. So I'll just kind of bang the drum one last time. Without an OFPP administrator, without somebody who is at that bully ball pulpit, there is a lack of the direction of the, of the acquisition community, even though there are good people and good leaders and smart people and they're doing great work. I think that that's something that's been missing, something to the effect of what, six of the last seven years, five of the last six years, there hasn't been a full-time OPP administrator. And, and maybe I'm just stuck in my old ways that, that I think there needs to be one. But I, I think that, that somebody like that could help set the direction of the acquisition community in a much more specific rigorous way. And I think that that's somebody can help solve some of these challenges. And so I see you climbing down off your soapbox. Okay. And that'll be the last word for, for today's show. I want to thank my guest, Jason Miller. He's the executive editor of federal news network. I'm Roger Walder. And you've been listening to off the shelf on federal news network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.